the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Wednesday. We are now in the middle of the weekday. We'll have uh, Congressman French Hill on at 7 o'clock, as he normally does. He'll join us. Uh, He's in Arkansas right now. We'll talk with him about the uh, discussion that's going on uh, in Washington, D.C., between the Republicans and the Democrats dealing with uh, coming up with a new Phase 4 for the uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic that's going on and see what he's thinking on all of this and how long it's going to take to put it all together. As you heard in the news just a moment ago, sounds like maybe they're putting some things together a little quicker than people thought. But that's the, the, the neither here nor there process of this is we don't know exactly what's happening Uh, We know that the Democrats came up with their own plan that was worth over three trillion dollars. The Republicans are kind of holding at the one trillion dollar plan. And I mean, we're talking massive amounts of money, whichever party gets their way. But it it, it sounds like to me that uh, we're going to go over the $1 trillion mark uh, significantly, but not make the $3 trillion mark uh, that the Democrats uh, want. So we'll just have to keep our eyes about that. Well, yesterday afternoon, I, like uh, so many other people, were scouring uh, across the Internet trying to figure out what in God's name was going on in Beirut. I mean, I started seeing those uh, uh, Twitter feeds uh, uh, yesterday and the, the, the hugeness of that explosion was uh, unparalleled. I mean, I haven't seen an explosion like that since the United States uh, showed off some of their explosions with, you know, atomic bombs, things of that nature. The first one that I saw, uh, there is a white building that is sitting next to the site or close to the site. It's hard to tell how far it is away from ground zero uh, when the port goes up there in Beirut. And you can see that that explosion in that building looks to be four or five stories tall to me, uh, just blows it into oblivion. And several of the people who were, I guess they heard the initial explosions, 
started their uh, their cell phones in uh, getting uh, coverage of it and, and uh, videoing it, uh, when that baby went off totally, you can see the shock wave quickly move across Beirut, and it knocks these people down. It rolls them across roofs. It rolls them through their apartments. It's uh, it's rather amazing to watch uh, the videos that are out there. I mean, I go to Google and just uh, and text Beirut explosion and watch the videos that are out there. They are really incredible. I mean, you get a mushroom cloud for a, a moment uh, with that. It's not an atomic explosion. It is a, conv- a conventional explosion. Uh, latest news that we're getting at this time is how normal, uh, and it's a question that's being, being asked, how normal is it to store 2,700 tons of highly explosive material in the middle of a metro area where you've got 2.2 million residents. I mean, last I heard, they were talking about 50 people dead. I got to believe more people than that died when you watch uh, the uh, the, the videos. And, uh, you know, 3,000 people injured. Pictures I've seen from on the ground, still pictures, uh, show a devastated landscape as well as uh, glass everywhere. And some people, uh, you know, the the impact, the concussion that that bomb uh, made had to be deadly to a lot of people. I mean, people in Beirut have gone through a lot. Uh, they have been working on re-putting uh, this uh, city together, but it is just incredible of uh, what is uh, going on over there. Uh, Dan ba- uh, Crenshaw, uh, Congressman Crenshaw, said, I've spent time in Beirut on a few occasions while in the military. It's full of great people who deserve better praying for the victims and their families after this horrific explosion, stay strong, Beirut. Uh, And, uh, you know, for somebody like me and probably like you as well, and I've had some military uh, experience in my lifetime, uh, but um, good grief. That, That was, somebody had to have second thoughts about storing this much, uh, you know, explosive material in one area. And from what we're hearing, it may have been, you know, um, ammonia nitrate. Now, that's exactly the same uh, material that McVeigh used to, to, uh, you know, blow up the Mura building in Oklahoma City years back. Uh, and we we know how uh, strong it is as a um, uh, explosive, and I, I, he didn't use anything near twenty seven hundred pounds. He had a van full. Think twenty seven hundred pounds, and how it just leveled things there. I'm sitting and looking uh, 
uh, on Twitter right now at some of the uh, pictures. Um, you know, people saying, let me just read some. Amen Modyeldin says, I honestly can't even wrap my head around this. A Lebanese security official says 2,700 tons, not pounds, pardon me on that, 2,700 tons of ammonia nitrate led to the Beirut explosion. The Oklahoma City bombers used approximately two tons, destroyed a building and shattered another 286. Okay, so two tons now from Oklahoma versus 2,700 tons of this stuff going up in, uh, in Beirut. And you know, Hamas has a huge present presence there in um, Beirut. It makes you wonder what that terrorist group was up to. Um, Zach Resnick saying it was seized from a visiting tanker several years ago, then appears to have fallen through the bureaucratic crank, uh, cracks. Think about that. 2,700 tons of ammonia nitrate just falls through the cracks. People forget that it happens to be there. I got a hard, hard time for me to believe that that would be the case. And uh, people are saying, you know, a lot of the footage coming out is from Hezbollah followers. Uh, Sharif Hassam says the detonation speed is way too high for ammonia nitrate, if ammonia nitrate was used, then serious primers must have been present as well, or metals at least. Now, if that's the case, if what is being said here is the case, we're talking about somebody launched an attack. Uh, you don't place detonators in 2,700 tons of ammonia nitrate unless you're going to explode it. And the only reason you would explode 2,700 tons of ammonia nitrate is to have, uh, you know, a huge, huge uh, explosion and, and uh, cause problems in the area. And people are saying Hezbollah and Iran working together. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here that's... Uh, out there, you got Nezrallah in 2017. Is uh, he's a a a, a, a sheikh uh, threatening uh, Israel that if his missiles were to hit containers of ammonia nitrate stored at Hafa port, the result would be akin to a nuclear detonation. Well, the scenario has now materialized, but in Beirut. You know, Hafa is, of course, in Israel. Was this stuff loaded on ships somewhere and going to make its way uh, to Israel? That's going to be a question that's got to be uh, discussed as well. Uh, the the uh, Trump administration, the president saying his generals, uh, telling him that it was some form of a military attack. So uh, we're going to have to watch this story. 
for a couple of uh, days, maybe weeks, before all of this uh, comes out. Because right now, everybody's guessing. We'll have to see who um, can offer more information on this. But right now, here's what we've got. 2,700 tons, tons of ammonia nitrate were stored in Beirut. Uh, The Oklahoma City bombers, when they took out the Mira building, it was two tons of explosive and as uh, a, uh, it was mentioned earlier in the uh, in the material I was presenting, you know, one building was totally destroyed, and uh, 235 were, of course, uh, had problems afterwards. Blew out the windows, uh, caused problems with foundational uh, materials and in walls and things of that nature. But 2,700 tons went up. And someone saying, hey, look, 2,700 tons doesn't go up like this unless there's uh, detonators involved or metals. And when you look at uh, ammonia, uh, you look at the video, you can see a fire burning. You can see smoke. Then all of a sudden there is a flash and a huge, huge explosion. 2,700 tons of explosive going up. Uh, it's just like uh, the Ayatollah and the Sheikh said, it is a, it's equivalent to a small nuclear explosion, except you don't have all the nuclear material that's involved. So that's a story that's sitting out there. Why it happened, how it happened uh, is still being uh, explored. Uh, I'm sure we'll start getting some material about this. Something tells me that Hezbollah in Iran is is behind this and that they were talking about trying to get an ammonia nitrate bomb uh, into Israel makes me wonder if they put it together and it was uh, on a ship and was going to be moved someplace else and something went wrong that set off that ammonia nitrate in the harbor uh, there in Beirut. But that's all we got right now. So we'll just leave it at that. And as we get more, we'll talk about it. As you know from listening to this show, I don't spend my time wondering and pontificating on things that I don't know anything about. I offer to you the information that has been shared with us and uh, let you know what that is. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to start guessing and say, well, it's. No doubt Hamas and Iran were getting ready to attack. We don't know that. Uh, The president doesn't know that. The uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff don't know that. Uh, Or if they do, they haven't notified us. They've told the president, and perhaps they know, but they feel that it would be uh, not good for the American people to know uh, what they know at this time. Sometimes secrets are necessary. Hope everybody understands that. All right, 21 minutes after 6, let's take a break when we come back. So are we going to have debates or aren't we going to have debates? Well, the first, uh, hopefully, uh, the, uh, the, the Democratic challenger's wife, who wants to be first lady, says that uh, Joe Biden will show up for debates. We'll talk about it in a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. 
All right, let's get to uh, our next topic today, uh, debate or not to debate. And uh, yesterday, Jill Biden, the uh, Democratic uh, nominee or presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden's wife, was on Dana Perino's uh, daily briefing and told her that her husband will share the debate stage with President Trump this fall, shrugging off suggestions by former Clinton White House Press Secretary Lockhart and others that Joe Biden skipped the events. Now, Karen, uh, uh, I'm trying to think her name, Jean Perret, who uh, is a political activist from MoveOn.org, talked about uh, the debates, and here's what she had to say. Let me get your final thoughts on something the Trump 2020 campaign has been saying uh, and that they want more debates. Uh, Bill Stepien saying that they want more debates starting sooner. Uh, They pointed out that the first debate is scheduled for uh, September 29th. By that time, 16 states will already have been voting. What's your thought about that? Do you want to see more debates or does the Biden campaign want to see more debates? Well, the Biden campaign has been very clear, crystal clear on this, is that we have we have said yes to doing three, three debates and one. One vice presidential debate, as it's been laid out by the nonpartisan uh, debate commission, a debate commission that's been around and, and other campaigns have followed for generations. Every campaign has followed for generations. And that is where we have we have agreed to do. And look, what's happening is Donald Trump and his campaign are trying to move the goalposts. But Joe Biden has said from time and time again, the first time he was asked the question and the couple times after that he is ready to take on Donald Trump. We will be there. He will be there ready to go. And so the question is, will Donald Trump be? All right. So um, they evidently are ready for the three debates. Now, uh, let's uh, let's cut through a little bit of what she said there when she said, you know, three debates and a vice presidential debate. And uh, we're looking at a situation where uh they're running this back to the 60s with uh, Kennedy and Nixon and how this has evolved uh, before uh, until, until the last few years. We didn't have uh, early voting the way we have now. The reason that the Trump campaign has asked for more debates, uh, you know, getting into September and doing it earlier than the 28th or 29th with every day it falls on is that some of these states will have been voting for as many as four weeks uh, before uh, those debates happen. Uh, So they want people to hear what Trump has to say and want to hear what, uh, of course, Biden has to say. Uh, before they uh, start, you know, mailing in their their votes or or going to the polls to vote or however it is that they do this. So uh, it's uh, interesting that uh, they came out so strongly yesterday. I, I guess that the reason they did is there's so many on the left and, and so many former political operatives out there that are trying are, are, are like they feel like they're standing along the road uh, and the bridge is out and uh, Joe Biden is uh, is in his car and he's driving at a high rate of speed to where the bridge is out. And they don't want him on the stage with Donald Trump to debate Donald Trump. I mean, 
I you, you just can't believe you, you need to just Google yourself and go out and read why these people don't want to debate Donald Trump. Uh, they are very nervous about how cognizant uh, the presumptive Dem- uh, Democratic nominee is going to be. All right, we got to get to the news. That's coming up next. And then when we come back, we've got more uh, things being said by the Democrats that I want you to hear. You know, uh, Heidi and I were talking during the break about the videos of that Beirut explosion. And if you've not seen this, if you've not gone online yet and checked out uh, the videos of this, uh, you must look at it just so that you have in mind when they start talking about what exactly, uh, why exactly were, excuse me, 2,700 tons of uh, ammonia nitrate uh, stored in one area and how did it all take, you know, explode uh, uh, right off the bat. I mean, an explosion is a is is a controlled thing if it's if it's uh, militarily based or a terrorist type thing, and there's blasting caps used and things of that nature, and it sure looks like to me there was a fire. Uh, in the ones that I've looked at, there's a fire, and you, there's a lot of black smoke. Then all of a sudden there is a flash, and that stuff just goes up, all of it, boom, up. And uh, I'm I'm wondering if uh, that material had been brought together as that one story uh, told us about uh, a cleric, a uh, Muslim cleric, uh, was talking about that they had tons of ammonia nitrate that they wanted to pull, park in the port of Haffa in Israel, and uh, the Israelis knew that. And if there's some kind of, if it's some kind of special ops that was pulled off by uh, Israel to detonate that stuff uh, in Beirut, where it was being stored before it could be detonated there in uh, uh, in Israel. Now, understand, Hezbollah controls the government uh, over there in, in Lebanon. So you got you, you got them doing their thing, uh, you know, without anybody uh, keeping them under control. In fact, we know that they work very closely with Iran on this uh, uh, material, on, on a lot of this stuff. Uh, that's why when we uh, killed that uh, terrorist leader of the Iran military uh, about, you know, how many months has it been? Has it been as long ago as a year ago? Uh, it's been back. It's been back a little bit. I haven't had a time to, to, to dig up uh, exact dates right now. But uh, that may have had something to do with all of this uh, because, you know, he was running uh, – with the Iranian government, with all of their uh, supporters over in Iran. And, uh, of course, Hezbollah uh, was one of them. And uh, wondering if this is just uh, somebody uh, igniting and detonating something that was for somebody else. So we'll keep our eyes on this story and see exactly what's going on. Now, we also talked about the debates 
um, uh, somewhat. I want to talk more about the debate. Uh, I want to play for you the RNC chair talking about Biden debating. This is about three minutes long. So, uh, you know, get your coffee or if you're driving, kind of keep your eye to the to the to radio so you can keep, uh, you know, zeroed in and hear what she is saying here because it's important. All right. Here's the RNC chair. Ronna McDaniel, RNC chair. Ronna, first of all, this debate thing, the New York Times, don't debate him or do only one debate. What do you make of this? Well, you know, they're acting as the media arm for the Biden campaign. Biden doesn't want to debate. He's incoherent at best. We've seen many of his gaffes from his basement. They're afraid to put him on a debate stage. I just want to say this. I think it's disqualifying. If you cannot debate in front of the American people and make your case as to why you should be president as to why you should go up against people like Putin or she, then you should not be president and you need to debate. I think if he doesn't debate, if he doesn't do all three, he should be disqualified from actually running for president. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, he's not. That's not going to happen. But if he does withdraw from all the debates or most of them, I think he faces a political challenge. I mean, that would be a very big negative politically. But let me let me move on for a second, because it seems like the Democrats are preparing a new narrative. They know that chaos is coming when we have loads of mail in ballots in the general election. And I think they're positioning themselves to say it's Trump's fault. He's not going to leave office. He's not going to get out of the White House. It's his fault. And he's it. I think they're protecting him again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you just saw in Nevada, Stuart, with uh, an emergency session called by the legislature and the governor, they are changing the rules of the game in the fourth quarter when the players are on the field and they are trying to sow chaos in this election. And let's just talk about Nevada. They're allowing two ballots for every envelope. They are saying ballots that aren't postmarked should be allowed to be counted, even if they're received after Election Day. There's expanding ballot harvesting, which has nothing to do with safety. But I think the most egregious is they're not even asking people to request an absentee ballot. They're mailing live ballots to voters without any verification. Democrats are systematically trying to derail all the safeguards to election integrity. They will only have themselves to blame if we have chaos on Election Day. And let's remember... In New York right now, we still do not have results from their primary 42 days away from their primary election. This is truly frightening. There's many red flags and Democrats are continuing to try and unleash this chaos uh, uh, through to to November. And by the way, uh, Rana, a judge in that New York City election just changed the rules on when a vote can be counted and which votes will be counted six weeks after the election. Election, the rules have just changed, and we still are nowhere near a result. All right, so two subjects there. First, uh, uh, the RNC chair saying that if Biden doesn't uh, debate, that uh, he should be he should pull himself out of the race. Of course, Stuart Varney, who was the interviewer there from Fox Business, uh, made the the point that's not going to happen and we all know that's not going to happen it'd be up to you the voter to decide in your own mind if somebody says they won't debate uh the incumbent person that they're running against uh, for president should they be president 
uh, and be taking on the likes of the leaders of the of Russia and China and all the other things that a president has to do run, uh, you know, a response to a pandemic and things of that nature. Those are things that uh, you've got to to take into question. But I just gave you the stories that said that uh, Biden's own wife says that, yes, he will debate uh, one of the members of his uh, election staff, uh, uh, Karen Jean-Pierre, who worked with MoveOn.org. And for you who know who MoveOn.org is, the big lefty group that they are, understand that they're working with the Biden campaign and Biden. And and you you listened to Jill Biden yesterday uh, in her Dana Perino interview calling uh, Biden a moderate. Uh, It sounds like to me uh, he's not so moderate that uh, he won't wrap his arms around everybody they go as far left as moveon.org and other organizations. Now, the second thing they talked in about was the mail-in ballots. This is getting really serious now because the Democrats are pushing hard to do as much uh, mail-in ballots as they can. And a lot of people say, well, what's the big deal about that? We have absentee ballots and things of that nature. Did you just listen to what they were saying about what's going on, for instance, in Nevada. Nevada, they're just going to mail out ballots to people. Doesn't matter if you ask for them or not. They're mailing them out. They don't know if you live at the address that they're mailing it out at. They've got your your address that you said or where you said you lived at, um, you know, in the previous election. But you could have moved since then, and then who's getting the ballot if you have moved? A lot of people have moved, and it there's just a lot of things that are going on that could cause real problems here. I mean, uh, Stuart Varney brought up a, a very good point when he said, hey, listen, uh, you're looking at people uh, that you got a judge in New York where a primary uh, 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 election hasn't been decided yet, and it's been nearly six weeks because of mail-in, I'm not sure. the mail-in uh, 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 ballots. All right, with that in mind, listen to what the House Majority le- Leader, that's Congressman Claiborne, has to say about mail-in ballots. We'll hear this, and then we've got to get into a quick break. The President of the United States expressing his opinion about mail-in voting, it's not the facts. The state of Washington has been doing this forever. And they have found that there's almost no fraud. You will have fraud in almost anything. I was born and raised in the Parsonage. One of my first meetings, uh, not a meeting of mine, one of my first members was a meeting my dad was having. He was president of the Presbytery when they were about to defrock a minister. They didn't burn down the church. They got rid of the minister. So you don't get rid of an election when you find fraud. You find fraud up in North Carolina. The president's own party, the guy he endorsed, committed the fraud. And he never took office. Had to put the election off forever. We just heard out in the Midwest another big fraudulent case, the president's party. 
both parties may be subjected to fraud, but we should not develop our entire approach to this election based upon the possibilities of fraud. Let's put in place the kind of processes to protect that. We can do that. Congress can appropriate the appropriate uh, necessary funds to have voting take place up to election day. Election day is going to be November 3rd. There's no reason why we can't stop voting in earnest at the same time states start uh, absentee and early voting. They do it for 30 days. Most states do it for 30 days. Why don't we have voting in earnest for 30 days? Why don't we put the resources in the budget so that we can say that you can vote over a period of two, three, four weeks and have all those votes. If you can mail it in, have it postmarked by the Saturday before election day in order for the votes to count. This whole thing about nobody voting absentee until the day of election and you're not knowing for 15, 20 days, maybe 30 days, who the winners are, you can do that proactively. It is so easy to do. And so I'm worried that we will sit back knowing full well that there's somebody trying to disrupt this election, trying not to have this election at all, and trying to install themselves as a strong man I've said this before, and a lot of people get nervous when I say it. But, you know, there's one thing about turning 80, <laughs> uh, you know, which I did last week. Happy you birthday. Say what you say what you feel like saying, and so I'm going to say it. I don't think this man plans to have an election. I think this man thinks he's going to hoodwink, hoodwink the people of this country much the way uh, that the people of Germany was who we make back in the 1930s. That's what I said. That's what I believe. All right. You heard it from the horse's mouth, all right? That's the House Majority Leader, the number three in uh, power of the Democratic Party in the House. Steny uh, Hoyer is above him, and above Steny Hoyer is Pelosi. That is scary rhetoric that you just heard. Well, yeah, there's going to be. We're going to have all kinds of. There'll be. There'll be fraud, but you you can't you can't stop something just because you know there's going to be fraud. You know, I heard that when I was a kid, growing up outside of Chicago, where the old adage of uh, vote early and vote often uh, got started. I'm just telling you. Uh, this whole thing about mail-in ballots is very, very troubling. More to talk about when we come back. Quick break, then we're back with the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we got about six minutes remaining. Uh, it's uh, six minutes, or let's make it five minutes uh, till uh, uh, 7 o'clock. So if you're just getting up, you got to be at work uh, at 8. you got some time yet to go. If you need to be there by 7, uh you might have to step on the gas a little bit, but the uh, roads look like they're all clear and and open for you to go and get to where you need to go. So uh, we were talking about mail-in ballots, and uh, there's going to be some real problems with that. I mean, we're actually hearing people like the House Majority Leader saying, well, we can do this. 
In other words, they want to change the whole methodology of an election just weeks out from that election. Remember, the election is November 3rd. We're, here we are in August, just about two months out. And uh, they want to do mail-in ballots for at least four weeks outside the election uh, where they're, you know, they're talking uh, uh, as far as the, uh, uh, the debates. I mean, there's a lot of people going to already have uh, cast their ballots then. I mean, four, six, eight weeks out uh, and not have to worry about postmarks or anything. Although I will say Claiborne said it needs to be postmarked the Saturday before uh, the election. At least he uh, figures that's one thing that they need to have. So what is Pelosi saying? What's the Speaker of the House saying about mail-in ballots? Well, we've got some some uh, audio on that. Here she is in Cut 29. Funding for election security. Yes. And let me tell you why. This is a health issue. First of all, there's real inconsistency on part of the administration. We had a special election in the spring in California where the president's son, namesake, Donald Trump Jr., was urging people to mail in their absentee ballots and where uh, his daughter-in-law was out there robocalling and saying, vote by mail. So this idea that that they all of a sudden have decided that there's something wrong. But the fact is, I was a former chair of the California Democratic Party years ago before I came to Congress, and I can tell you, we could win any election on election day. It was that vote by mail that the Republicans came in on that made the difference. And the Republicans very much have been voting by mail, and they understand the importance of it. Right now, even more important, because it is a health issue. People should not have to choose between jeopardizing their health with the coronavirus and being able to exercise uh, their right to vote. All right. So it's now you see it's a health issue. What about the protests, Pelosi? You've been all for the protests that are going on out there. Is that not about people's health as well? Nothing from you on that and nothing from the person who was talking to her didn't stop her and and uh, follow up some of the things that she was saying. It was the law in California on mail in. That's what we're arguing now. Do we want every state in the union to have mail-in like California has. And you can see the problems that have had in their last election. Is that what you want to get to? And the whole thing about health is, is bogus as far as I'm concerned. I mean, look, we had our own Secretary of State on. And to protect you when you go to the polls, you won't even have to touch the screen Everybody's going to be required to wear a mask. You won't even have to touch the screen when you vote. You're going to be given your own personal little stylus that you can uh, push the button for who you want to to vote for. And uh, they're going to keep the areas uh, clean uh, from from the virus as well. Uh, It's the Democrats that are pushing to change the way we're doing this election and to to try to make the changes whole scale that they're wanting to do under, uh, you know, like 90 days out is going to be impossible. You can't write up the rules and and cover all the ands, ifs and buts 
within uh, that amount of time because it doesn't not need to be done by November 3rd. It needs to be done well before November 3rd, like six or eight weeks out. That means towards the middle of September. And look where we're sitting right now. Don't think it's possible. All right, coming up after the news at 7 o'clock, uh, we will talk with uh, Congressman French Hill. We'll talk to him about mail-in ballots and see what he has to say. Uh, ask him if he's heard uh, the majority leader say that, you know, you can't stop fraud, basically. And so you just got to live with it. And uh, a lot of other things. There's a lot of other things to talk about. We'll talk to him about Beirut, see if he has known, uh, heard anything more about that huge explosion that occurred there. And uh, uh, the word that we're getting, it was ammonia nitrate. That's the, uh, that's the bomb of a terrorist. More coming your way on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hill to uh, join us. He will be doing so by phone here in just a moment. We've got several different things to talk to him about uh, today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, He uh, joins us every Wednesday at this time to talk about what's going down uh, in Washington, D.C. Right now, of course, he is uh, uh, in Arkansas. He's not in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, doing his things. He had a town hall meeting by telephone that he hosted last night. We'll see how uh, that went. Uh, they were uh, expecting questions about defunding the police, safely reopening schools, taxes, China, COVID-19. I'm sure they got uh, a question or two about the expression, uh, the explosion in Beirut that occurred yesterday. Uh, I'm sure that there were some problems uh, or questions, not problems, but questions uh, dealing with the debates and, and all of that. So we, we've got a lot of things to talk about with him. And uh, I'd like to know about the negotiations for another round of COVID-19 funding. Uh, and find out if he thinks there's going to be another round of stimulus checks uh, because that's going to affect you uh, directly. So we're, we're waiting for them to get in uh, contact with us and, and let us know uh, what's going on. Uh, and so I'm sitting here waiting for that. I know that uh, uh, Heidi is waiting for that call. Uh, let me uh, go back and uh, we can look at a few other things here while we got the, the uh, opportunity here. Uh, Herschel Walker uh, has been out uh, talking about Black Lives Matter. Uh, I've got a, a quick piece of audio from him. So let's hear him talk about that. Uh, Heidi, let's play cut number 25. 
Well, Jonathan Isaac with the uh, the Magic uh, was the first NBA player to stand during the national anthem last week. Now, here's the first question, Herschel, that he was asked after that game. Do you believe that Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. I believe that Black Lives Matter. Kneeling or wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt um, don't go hand in hand with supporting Black Lives. For me, Black Lives are supported through the gospel. All lives are supported through the gospel. Uh, he's a faithful Christian, and he believes that everyone should be treated equally without regard to race and with love and compassion. Uh, and he's interrogated for that. Well, that is terrible. Well, what's terrible is think about the first question she asked. Because you're standing, are you against Black Lives Matter? Well, that has nothing to do with it. You know what? And what I said early on, Black Lives Matter is a group that has alienated themselves to one political party. That's the Democratic Party. And everyone knows in Washington, unless you can bring both parties together, you're not going to get anything done. So was that, a, was that their agenda is just to alienate themselves? from one party because they support the Democratic Party. And then to question him uh, because you're standing, are you against Black Lives Matter? I'm not against Black Lives Matter because I think all black lives matter, not just certain black lives matter, but I'm for America lives matter because I'm in America. And so people get upset when I say that. And I'm, I'm like, guys, I'm an American. I love America. And there's no doubt we can uh, we can solve the problems we have going on, but we got to come together and talk about it. We can't just mm -hmm. get out and make statements. You know, no one has ever wanted to communicate about it. All right, that's Herschel Walker talking about Black Lives Matter. Now, we understand Congressman Hill has joined us. Uh, he's in Arkansas. Congressman, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. Glad to be with you. All right, well, let's start it off with the story we started off uh, the, the show with today, and that is this uh, massive explosion that occurred over in Beirut and if you follow some of the stories that are out there, uh, not more than a few months ago, uh, there was a, uh, uh, a religious leader that uh, is part of Hamas that was working with Iran talking about he would like to place an ammonia nitrate bomb in, uh, in Haifa. Now we've got this big ammonia nitrate bomb go off in Beirut. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder if this was some kind of uh, uh, of stop by Israeli special forces or something. Well, Dave, I don't think we know. I think it's under investigation, but it's not a fireworks warehouse. Uh, yeah, and no uh, which is what was which was what was reported when I flipped on uh, the news uh, yesterday. That mushroom cloud and that uh, damage, with now over a hundred killed, thousands injured, and Every hotel in Beirut is shut down, so the blast zone was immense. And I'll say one other thing. This is in the most impoverished country right now. It's ranked as the most indebted, most in trouble country financially in the world, and that says a lot given the pandemic. Yeah, and it also says a lot about who runs that country. Hezbollah runs that country, so that says uh, that they're not doing much for their people over there, doesn't it? Right. Well, the country has uh, had this uh, hybrid government structure uh, since the 80s. We all remember the terrible Marine uh, deaths in Beirut back in 1983, and so 
I'm very concerned about the future of Lebanon. I think it could become full, a full Iranian proxy, fall into the same chaos that Syria has with involvement from Iran. And that would be a disaster because it's one of the last bastions of Christianity in the Middle East. So you had a uh, you had a phone in town hall meeting last night. How did that go for you? Uh, Dave, we had great calls last night, and I'm still one thing that I take away from uh, all my constituent interaction, but particularly an open uh, call like that, is just how many people, believe it or not, still have had trouble getting their May stimulus check, their tax rebate check from the government. And that's something that we've worked on. We've helped constituents, countless constituents with that, where even though so many people got it by direct deposit uh, in May and June, uh, we have this uh, terrible situation where about 30 million Americans are still waiting for that uh, that payment. A lot of them got a debit card. And I even had people get it on a debit card, and they have, they're on Social Security, which means the government has their direct deposit information. So right. that's a frustration that was highlighted last night. Uh, but we talked a lot about getting our economy back up to full capacity and getting our schools open safely. All right. So what about reopening schools? There's people that are out there yelling, if you reopen the schools, uh, it's no, nothing short of suicide, basically. And uh, it seems like to me, as I've looked at uh, other countries around the world, they've reopened the schools and haven't had that big of a problem with it. Right. I think it's 100 percent based on uh, the local area and what is the virus doing in that local area. And look, our Johnny Key, who's the commissioner of education here in Arkansas, has work with the superintendents to have safe opening plans across the country, whether you're in an urban area or a rural area. And the superintendents I've talked to in the 2nd Congressional District, many of them are letting parents make that choice if they want to go online the first nine weeks and be remote at home. Uh, They're happy to accommodate them. Those kids who want to come into the classroom can do so. Uh, And I think that kind of uh, flexibility is a real credit to our superintendents and our teachers. And a teacher that might have type 1 diabetes or be concerned about his or her own health. Uh, Many of our superintendents are allowing them to teach the classroom remotely. So they're at home, but the kids are in school. So I think flexibility is smart here. I think uh, making sure we've got all the resources necessary for both remote learning, like hotspots and access to uh, the Internet, uh, is a critical deficiency in our state. We've got to work on that. All right. So when you look at what's going on here in Arkansas, do you do you feel positive that we can get things started here and get uh, kids back in class? Because it's it's really important that these kids get some get some uh, uh, you know a narrative that's the same narrative all the time instead of things going and stopping and and teachers not wanting to be there and all the rest of that's been happening yeah i'm always optimistic because i think we have uh, a great uh, team in our school districts but it's going to be unique from place to place uh, based on the teachers i've talked to there are a lot of concerns and i think we need to try to accommodate those concerns because the american academy of pediatrics says these kids need to be in school they need to be learning they need to have the social interaction Right. They need to have the supervision, and we don't want to have uh, stress and uh, mental concerns and uh, some of the things I'm hearing from parents that they're dealing with their kids. There are a lot of kids that are really hurting by not having that regular routine, 
and we need to try to get that back where it's safe and it's possible to do so. All right, so uh, the school should probably reopen here in the short. Let's talk about some things that are being talked about in D.C. that may take some time. And that goes with this new information going out about COVID-19 and what's the new uh, stimulus that that they're thinking about with Part 4. Munson uh, says $1 trillion. Pelosi says $3 trillion. Schumer says we're talking, we're still a long way apart. Uh, what do you know that you can share with us about this? Well, I mean, that news that you just reported is ridiculous. I mean, it borders on irrational. That isn't even the amount of the bill that Nancy Pelosi proposed a month ago, which was a long, complex, progressive wish list wish list of spending, much of which had nothing to do with the pandemic. And right. now she's added more to it. When what we need is a... Uh, a a compromise that helps our families who are on unemployment, who are battling the virus because they can't get back to their work in a hotel or a restaurant or some kind of a hospitality-type business, but one that doesn't disrupt labor markets. And Chuck Schumer's $600 a week from March disrupts labor markets here. It's hard to get people back to work if you're making $50,000 a year uh, on unemployment, which is what, when you add the $600 plus Arkansas unemployment, you get at the upper end of that area. Number two, we need more flexibility for our states to spend the money they already have. It, the, the study we did is only about 20% of the money that we appropriated in March has even been spent by the states. Mm-hmm. So let's give them more flexibility to, to do that. And finally, President Trump wants to help families, <laughs> excuse me, families. So they've got this uh, additional tax rebate payment of $1,200 per adult like they had in early May in this bill. That doesn't even get you up to a trillion dollars. You can you can do what we need to get our economy back up safely for less than even the money that Steve Mnuchin's proposing, and certainly less than the uh, wish list that Speaker Pelosi is enunciating. All right. So what's your thoughts? Let me get this uh, question asked before I might take my break. What about another round of stimulus checks? Are you expecting that to happen? Uh, Well, it's in the Senate proposal. It's something President Trump supports. uh, So I would anticipate that if they get if they get to a deal. All right. Well, let's get a break. It's uh, about 20 minutes after seven. I got to pay some bills. And then when I come back, we're going to talk about uh, mail-in ballots because that has now taken on a life of its own. So let's talk about that as well. Our guest is Congressman French Hill. Uh, Of course, he is the congressman for District 2 here in central Arkansas. We'll see what he has to say about mail-in ballots in just a moment. You've been hearing from Pelosi. You've been hearing from Claiborne. Let's see what our congressman says when we get back. 20 minutes after 7, don't forget about PI Roofing. I had them out just uh, on, um, let's say, today's Wednesday on Monday. Uh, They were out with uh, my house uh, taking care of a leak that had formed around a... uh, uh, satellite dish that I had installed on my home, and they uh, got with uh, the people from DirecTV. DirecTV put a new bracket up and a new dish in another area, 
and they turned around, uh, the folks from PI Roofing did, removed the old dish, remo- removed the old bracket, removed the old uh, shingles and old uh, plywood, and put all new stuff in place so that all of that leak would not happen any further. That's the kind of uh, uh, work you get from the good folks at PI Roofing. Uh, Joel Johnson and his wife Veronica started this business over uh, almost two decades ago. They're called the Roof Leak Detectives because the way they used to do it, they drive around neighborhoods, look around. They could look at roofs and tell which ones probably had problems with leaks, would stop in, talk to the occupants, tell them they would identify the leaks and fix it, and they did. And that's how they got their moniker of being roof leak detectives. Now, they're one of the best roofing companies here in central Arkansas. Use them. They're well worth your time. They're the only people I allow on my roof to work on mine. 707-3551 is their local number. 707-3551 for PI Roofing or piroofing.com. All right, we got about five minutes till we get to uh, Rush. He'll be joining us for his daily minute on the air with us now. If you just joined us, Congressman French Hill is here. Uh, he is Congressman of District 2, Central Arkansas. And, and let's talk uh, about write-in uh, ballots because uh, I've played a couple of uh, pieces here just recently uh, in my show, last half hour, uh, I listened to the majority leader, uh, or whip, uh, not the leader, leader uh, Steny Stoyer. The whip is Claiborne. And, uh, you know, he made, yeah, there's going to be all kinds of uh, problems as far as uh, voting by uh, write-in ballot. And, yeah, there'll there'll be cheating and all kinds of stuff, but that always goes on. So it's nothing that we should be worried about. I mean, it's just it was one of the craziest thing I, I ever heard. And then he gets to the end and he compares uh, Trump to Hitler, saying that Trump's going to try to pull a Hitler on the American people and stay in office and and call off the election. That ain't going to happen. So you you tell me, where, where are we on this? Jim Clyburn's another guy that needs to retire. He's one of the more tiresome voices uh, in Congress. And I've seen polling on this, Dave. You know, we're blessed in Arkansas because we have uh, two long weeks of early voting. People love it. And I think in recent years, it's been about 50-50. 50% of the people vote on Election Day and 50% vote early. And that's been a real advantage to lower lines and easier days to vote, exercise your right to express your view. And now I see between 25 and 30% of the folks may say they vote, may vote absentee. Uh-huh. Uh, that's perfectly fine. They can request a ballot. They'll be mailed out in September. They, you have to have proof of uh, who you are and your address and all that work. And off we go. And this idea that we're going to have uh, somebody steal the election uh, and that that's what we always do, from Jim Clyburn is ridiculous, and his comments about the president are appalling. And uh, so uh, I think it's a way to vote safely. I think the safest way to vote is to, there'll be social distancing. They'll have hand sanitizer. You're going to get a wand when you go up to the voting machine, and it's uh-huh. your personal wand. You get to use it and then throw it away. So our county clerks and uh, our Secretary of State, John Thurston, they're working hard for a good, clean, healthy, safe election season yeah they've looked at this from a to z i mean i've had 
Secretary of State Thurston on. He's explained what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, They are a little concerned that they're going to get more absentee ballots. He said they got about 4% the last time. That was 42,000 votes. He's expecting maybe as high as 15% on this next election, which that's a considerable amount of ballots that they're going to have to to deal with on Election Day. But, I mean, Claiborne and even Pelosi made the statement, well, maybe we should count the the, the, the absentee and write-in ballots uh, mailed in early. That's crazy. Now you're asking for corruption. Yeah, this is just so they can figure out how many votes they need to win and, and pile them up. I mean, this is like Duval County in the 1940s with Lyndon Johnson in South Texas. I mean, this is not what we need to be encouraging. And I'm surprised Speaker Pelosi and Jim Clyburn and the way they operate Nothing, however, after a few years of being with them up there in the House of Representatives, nothing surprises me. But look, we want a safe election. We have election security. Uh, we have the most money invested in election security uh, in American history. We've got uh, protection from cyber threat. We've got the FBI monitoring to make sure the Russians and the Chinese don't try to hack the election system. We have new voting machines thanks to appropriations from Congress. We have more training. Uh, we have the precautions John Thurston's taking across the state. So our clerks are working overtime to be ready for our Kansans to have a safe and healthy election season. All right. Congressman, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time. You covered a whole lot of subjects. We appreciate you. My best wishes, Dave. Have a great week. See All you. right. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, of course, when we come back, I'm going to talk more about write-in voting or mail-in voting, and uh, we'll talk uh, on that. And I, I want you to hear uh, Jim Claiborne again because it is so ridiculous what he said. It is just unbelievable. He went on the record to say it. All right, Rush is up, and then I'll be back. So let's get to, to Rush here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so uh, we heard what the uh, congressman had to say in the last half hour uh, talking about the mail-in voting and how he's concerned about what he's hearing from the Democrat Party. Uh, I mentioned that we had a, a, a voice bite right directly from the House Majority Whip's uh, own website uh, dealing with mail-in voting. And so uh, he talked about Congressman Jim Claiborne of South Carolina, said that he needed to retire, that he's been there forever. And then uh, the things that he said about the president, uh, you know, were, uh, to be honest, uh, uncalled for and uh, below what a congressman should be saying. But here, let me play this for you. Again, this is three minutes long. Listen to the points made by the House Majority uh, Whip. And that this is the number three man in uh, power in the Democratic Party on the House side. Here's what he had to say about mail-in uh, voting. The President of the United States expressing his opinion about mail-in voting it's not the facts. The state of Washington has been doing this forever. And they have found that there's almost no fraud. You will have fraud in almost anything. I was born and raised in the Postage. 
one of my first meetings, uh, not a meeting of mine, one of my first members was a meeting my dad was having, he was president of the Presbytery, when they were uh, about to defrock a minister. They didn't burn down the church. They got rid of the minister. So you don't get rid of an election when you find fraud. You find fraud up in North Carolina. The president's own party, the guy he endorsed, committed the fraud, and he never took office. Had to put the election off forever. We just heard out in the Midwest another big fraudulent case, the president's party. Both parties may be subjected to fraud, but we should not develop our entire approach to this election based upon the possibilities of fraud. Let's put in place the kind of processes to protect that. We can do that. Congress can appropriate the appropriate uh, the necessary funds to have voting take place up to election day. Election day is going to be November 3rd. There is no reason why we can't stop voting in earnest at the same time states start uh, absentee and early voting. They do it for 30 days. Most states do it for 30 days. Why don't we have voting in earnest for 30 days? Why don't we put the resources in the budget so that we can say that you can vote over a period of two, three, four weeks and have all those votes? If you're going to mail it in, have it postmarked by the Saturday before Election Day in order for the votes to count. This whole thing about nobody voting absentee until the day of election and you're not knowing for 15, 20 days, maybe 30 days, who the winners are, you can do that proactively. And it's so easy to do. And so I'm worried that we will sit back knowing full well that there's somebody trying to disrupt this election, trying not to have this election at all, and trying to install themselves as a strong man I've said this before, and a lot of people get nervous when I say it. But, you know, there's one thing about turning 80, uh, <laughs> you know, which I did last week. Happy you birthday. To say what you, what you feel like saying, and so I'm going to say it. I don't think this man plans to have an election. I think this man thinks he's going to hoodwink, hoodwink the people of this country much the way uh, that the people of Germany was hoodwink back in the 1930s. That's what I said. That's what I believe. All right. That's Jim Claiborne. And that may be what he believes, but uh, he, he believes very bizarrely, to say the least. But to to make the uh, argument, well, we have uh, fraud all the time uh, with mail-in voting. It's no big deal. Uh, we got we got to set up the processes or the processes, as he said, uh, to be able to to uh, keep that from happening. And if it happens, we just deal with it. And that's that's his take on all of this. Uh, understand that mail-in voting is totally different from absentee voting completely different and that different states now are uh, saying that they're just going to send out ballots uh, to people and ask them to vote but that's not the way you do things you want to make sure that the people who are voting uh, can vote that they're they meet the, the age requirements and things of that nature if you don't have any of that you're going to get massive fraud 
it's going to happen. But uh, Claiborne's not worried about that at all. Uh, Pelosi talked about mail-in voting as well. And uh, what she had to say kind of goes along with what Claiborne said. Kind of look the other way. Don't don't worry about it. Uh, we've been doing it in California. It's worked perfectly. No, it hasn't. They've got all kinds of problems in California right now from their last primaries where they haven't been able to determine winners because of the mail-in votes that, uh, that came in. Uh, I'm not against, uh, you know, people being able to vote. Uh, by mail uh, if we stay with the the rules that we've had on absentee balloting. I mean, here in the state of Arkansas, anybody can vote by mail as long as they're registered, they're on the rolls, and and all the things that are necessary because they're going to send it to you early. you got to prove that you're who you say you are and all of that. We're getting to the point where you can't do that if you change all these rules just before the uh, November election. Uh, Pelosi was also uh, running her mouth and had this to say about Burks, the uh, uh, the lady that everybody had nothing but great things to say when she was put on the president's team to fight COVID. Now, because she doesn't parrot exactly what the left is saying, they attack her. Listen to what uh, the uh, Speaker of the House had to say about her. That's cut 28. You said this weekend uh, that you don't have confidence in someone who is part of the administration's leading, helping lead the That's administration's right. response to That's this, right. in White House advisor Dr. Dr. Deborah Burks. Um, That's right. Give, given that, that she, ha- she has differed with the president on a number of issues in which he's just flat out wrong based on, based what, on the right, facts. Over the weekend. Including the hydroxychloroquine, etc. I just yeah. wonder why single her out given the president well, leading because, really the effort. Well, what happened is that we had a conversation about how we stopped the virus. And uh, when we did, they, they were making contentions about how tracing isn't a valuable thing. We shouldn't mm-hmm. do it. I said, well, that's not what most scientists say. And they said, well, we'll bring a scientist to say that. I said, well, sure, it's not Dr. Burks, because I don't have confidence in anyone who stands there while the president says, uh, swallow Lysol and it's going to cure your mm-hmm. virus. You know, you'll kill you and you won't have the virus mm-hmm. anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, have confidence in somebody when the president says it's a hoax. It's magic. It's going to go away by magic. It's a miracle, and all of those things. So, so no, you're saying I, she I don't hasn't challenged his disinformation. Well, she enough. stood there and, and no, I, I think that that she has uh, uh, that she has uh, uh, enabled. But it's not about her. It's about the American people. It's about the American people and how we have a real a strategic plan. This administration has not had a strategic plan for the six months that we know about the coronavirus. We should have had a plan for testing, tracing, treating, separation, mask and the rest. The president saying uh, something about mask and, and uh, uh, there has to be some responsibility. So if okay. the president is saying these things... Who Who's advising him that this is okay and enabling 
that to happen. While millions of people have died, we passed our bill almost now 11 weeks ago. And <laughs> since that time, 3 million people have been added yeah. to the infection list. Nearly 70,000 people have died. Okay. And they still don't have an, a, 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 a strategic yeah. plan on stopping the virus. That's why I okay. said I'd like to have somebody else come in from the scientific oh. point of view. All right. So don't believe uh, Burks, even though she has differed with the president on many issues. Uh, you got to get got to get somebody in there that's going to parrot the party line is what she was saying. And that's exactly what she said. By the way, she mentions Lysol. Uh, Lysol has been approved by the FDA as uh, being able to kill the uh, COVID-19 virus that that is known. All right. uh, So let's take a break. When we come back, I've got uh, the vice president and what he has to say about COVID-19. And I'll play that for you when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick show. Stay tuned. All right, we got about 12 minutes until the top of the hour. Don't forget about David Lucas. He reminds you $287,619 could be at stake in your retirement, uh, depending on what you do as far as taxes are concerned with your IRA and your 401k, because that's how much a little rock couple could save. Uh, Thanks to his tax planning strategies, Uh, Right here in Little Rock, you can save that kind of money. You could save that type of money for your retirement, and you can do a lot with $267,000 and change. Learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. If you save more than $250,000, Be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. Do you have an IRA or a 401k? Make sure. I mean, some people, you know, you you got a 401k with your business uh, that you didn't even know that you had, and it's there, or an IRA. Learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling 501-222-3315. Again, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, we're down to 10 minutes to go here in uh, this hour. Next hour, we'll be hearing from Joe and Duck, and we'll talk about cars like we uh, typically do on a uh, Wednesday. But right now, I'd like to uh, let you hear what uh, the administration is saying about uh, COVID-19, and it's the, uh, the, the vice president. So here's the vice president talking about COVID-19. Our hearts grieve uh, for the, the fact that uh, one in five of all the American lives have been lost in the coronavirus pandemic. We're lost in the state of New York. And some of that was because of poor decisions by the state and by Governor Cuomo. But look, I, I liked it better when he said that President Trump's leadership in the pandemic was, in his words, phenomenal. He said that repeatedly as we surge testing, as we surge PPE as we sailed in uh, a a hospital ship, as we built hospitals in New York. Uh, I I couldn't be 
more proud uh, of the of the support that we rendered to the people of New York. And I think the people of New York know that. Healthcare workers know that. Families know that. Uh, I know that Governor Phil Murphy, just across the river, uh, has continued to express his great appreciation for President Trump's leadership. But I, I have to tell you, there'll be there'll be plenty of time uh, in the future to to, to debate various yeah. responses. Lord, our focus is entirely uh, on dealing with this pandemic, marshalling the full resources of the government, and uh, and but I think the American people know the facts here, and and the fact that that Governor Cuomo well, has been yeah. on again, off again. He's complimented the administration's response, and then he pivots to criticism. I, I think people see through that. It's right, just politics. We're going to stay get- focused on the task at hand. All right. As you heard the uh, reporter saying, uh, don't tell me any of the, the, the reality of all of this. I mean, uh, uh, I want to be- believe in the uh, Speaker of the House and Pelosi, how she says you guys have blown it. Now, you, now you're, you're, you're bringing some facts to the matter. And some of the facts of the matter are, for instance, in New York uh, City, uh, you know, you've got Como, who one out of all one out of every five deaths from COVID-19 happened in New York. Now, that doesn't speak well of the people who are in charge there. The president has not taken a centrist position on this. By centrist, I mean he has not said the federal government will tell you exactly what you must do as a citizen of this country to fight COVID. That's up to you and your state government that that's federalism that's what i like to see and then you expect that your state uh, uh governor is going to take uh, care of a lot of this uh that's going on uh in new york sorry to say you might want to vote for another governor next time uh, i don't know if he's up for re-election or not i know you should vote you can't vote, get blah, 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 Blasio out. The, 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 uh, the New York mayor, he's as crazy as a loon. And you've been stuck with him now going on four years. But, uh, you know, the vice president was exactly right. Uh, when you look at the testing, the, um, America has tested more people than any other country in the world has tested more people than any other country in in the world. And we're trying to make sense of the tests, and the, the states are trying to make sense of their tests and take care of any hot spots that, that flare up and, and get them taken care of. I mean, that's what the governor of Arkansas is doing right now. He's identifying uh, what the hot spots are and, Yesterday sounded to me like he was very positive that we're getting things uh, taken care of. Uh, you know what's what's uh, going on. A lot of questions uh, already uh, being presented. I'm sure that you've been seeing. Are you going to take the the vaccine or not? Are you going to take a, a vaccine that uh, has been uh, put together uh, can protect you from the virus? And see, and people say, well, it has, uh, you know, it it has uh, uh, problems. 
there's things that might happen. I might get I might get sick from the vaccine. You may get sick from a flu shot. You may get sick from any kind of shot that you're taking. If uh, if they come up with a vaccine that is, let's say it's just 90 percent effective, will you take it or won't you take it? I'll give you a good example about myself. Would I take it? Probably so. Type 2 diabetic. Uh, I'd like to have that extra line of defense there. I've got to go in and I'm going to be taking uh, the vaccine for shingles. Uh, It's been found to be 90% effective in blocking myself from getting shingles. And my mother used to have shingles and Lord knows I don't want them. I've seen how painful they are. I've seen how debilitating that that uh, that can be. So I will go get uh, the shot. I'm already uh, calling around, finding the people who have the vaccine. Because here's my question. If it gives you 90 percent, gives you 90 percent protection. Are you going to not take it because you might be the one out of 100 that it doesn't protect? I personally will take it and uh, say, well, uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed that I'm going to be part of the 90% that won't have to worry about getting shingles. The percentages at that point are in favor of me. If it comes out that way as far as uh, COVID-19, I'll do that as well. I mean, I take a flu shot every year, and uh, I take the flu shot for two reasons. One... There are times that it can keep you from getting uh, uh, the flu. And secondly, it uh, keeps you maybe from getting uh, uh, the full force of the flu uh, that's out there. Maybe the the, the shot you get doesn't cover the exact strain uh, that they thought it was going to be. But because it's battling a COVID virus, it can help reduce how you feel uh, from uh, having uh, uh, the flu full force. They're saying that that's how this uh, COVID-19 vaccine will work uh, as well. So those are questions people are going to have to answer on themselves. I mean, according to Pelosi and her thoughts about you know, uh, we need a plan to stop people from getting COVID-19. I guess if they come up with a vaccination that's, uh, let's just say, 90 or 85 percent, 80 percent, you know, effective. She's all about saying that the American government should be able to force you to take a shot. I don't agree with that. Never would agree with that about anything that you got to line up and everybody's got to march in order. The only time that I ever did that was when I was in the military. And in the military, I wasn't under the Constitution. I was under uh, the Constitution plus the UCMJ. And I was given a lawful order, which was to roll up my sleeve and take the shot. And so I did. So keep that in mind. Uh, there are some people out there that are looking at wanting to make you take the vaccine when it becomes available. That's another topic for another day. 
The car guys are with us next. We'll have Joe Sharp. We'll have, uh, uh, of course, Don Godsey, Joe's Garage, Duck's Garage on. You get a car question, 823-0965. That's the number directly here to the Dave Ellswick Show. that time when we all get together and uh, deal with cars if you uh, have a car question email me at dave at salemlr.com dave at salemlr.com i'm going to mention this several times through the program so that if we get your uh, email before we get done with the program we'll be able to get to it if it comes in after the program We'll have it ready to go uh, in the next week uh, when the program uh, is recorded again. So Joe is here from Joe's Garage, Joe Sharp. Uh, he has been over on Crystal Hills Road for a long time. He's been my mechanic for nearly uh, 20 years, if not 20 years, and uh, has done a fantastic job for me. So uh, Duck is supposed to join us. We're waiting for him to call in as soon as he does. Uh, we'll get him into the process as well. I, let's start off with a question that I got here, Joe. I think it's an interesting one that uh, you should be able to handle without any problem. But Chad has got a 2005 Pontiac Grand Am SE, uh, six-cylinder, 3.4 liter. He says, short story, I came out after making several stops one day earlier in the week turned the key and everything went dead the car flatlined but there was still power to the lights etc tried to jump it still nothing i've tried several things but she doesn't get into but nothing seems to work my roommate uh, my roommate has worked on cars for years and has been trying to fix it we took the battery to Walmart. They tested it on their machine and said it tested even better than rated. We checked all the possible fuses that could be related to the car starting, and they are good. Uh, we uh, swapped out the starter relay with a similar matching fuse and still nothing. Figured it was the starter as there was no clicking as one would expect with an alternator issue. Replaced the starter. Still nothing. Uh, guy says he thought it could be the ignition switch, which made some uh, sense. So we made and replaced that, and still nothing changed. Remained dead. I'm pretty much at the end of my rope. Any ideas, any solutions? And, uh, Joe, that's the question. Duck is with us as well. I guess you heard the whole the whole question there, Duck, correct? I heard pretty most of, most of all of it, yes. Okay, let me turn it over to Joe first and let him take a shot at this. Why do you think this car flatlined, as uh, the uh, uh, the person who emailed me said? 
Well, I don't think there's there's a whole lot going on there. Actually, it's had everything checked. Uh, that's a PATS-2 uh, security system, and it's probably a key recognition there, Dave. Okay. He's probably wore one of the brass, and he stuck the key in it, don't recognize it, and you turn it to the crank position, it's not going to crank. All it's going to do is turn the lights on inside, but it's not going to crank. And if they did jump across the starter relay and make it crank over, it would probably crank and run for about three seconds, and then the fuel shut off would engage because it's not recognizing the key. It's probably okay. got a wore-out key. Now, you have to understand when he said that he replaced the ignition switch, the electrical part of the ignition switch doesn't have the skim ring on it that recognizes the key. So if he put the ignition switch in it, he just put the electrical part of the ignition switch on there, but not the skim ring that recognizes the key, which is up closer towards the lock and key cylinder. And the car now has to recognize the key or it's not going to start. It's a very simple test. You could hook a scanner up to it and go in there and you can look and see if it has a key recognition codes in it. It's got error on key recognition codes. It's not recognizing the key. It's got a problem with the skim ring or the key itself. All right. And probably going to be the key itself. Yep, so probably what you're going to end up at is at the dealership getting the new key is what you're saying. No. We fix those every day. Oh, you guys you guys can fix those then? Yes. Okay. No problem. All right. There you go. You know, that's something that's relatively new to cars and that people aren't considering when things like this go bad. First thing that goes through a person's mind when the car flatlines or won't start, won't even turn over, is that uh, the alternator probably is bad. And it's not given any charge, but then they take the battery in, they have it checked, and uh, the guy at Walmart, after he takes it off the machine, says, it's uh, it's good, it's fully ready to go. And now you're looking at it and going, then why isn't my car starting? Well, you might consider the key. That's something that you you just got to look at now. Uh, it's something that that happens. It happens quite often, doesn't it, Joe and uh, and Duck? Yes, sir. It happens about every day, Dave. Somebody's got that problem, and and I always tell them, "Do you have another key for that vehicle?" Yeah, go get your other key and try it before you do anything. That makes sense. You know, you want to get everything. But I guess the thing that makes sense more before I put parts on my car, like a starter, which is not cheap, is to uh, uh, take it somewhere and uh, take it to somebody who can scan the car and can make sure they're telling me what I'm doing is the correct thing to do. I mean, I can understand people want to put the starter in if they can do it, uh, but just going out and getting a starter and guessing when you really can test and don't have to guess, that just makes sense to me. You go see somebody like you, Joe, or somebody like you, Duck, and let you run a quick test on it. Yeah, Most time you can take the computer and... Go ahead, Joe. That's it. Well, what I was going to say is <clears throat> if, if you pay to have it checked, you'll get, a, you'll, you'll get a good diagnosis. If you don't pay and even a code test, that doesn't is not reliable. You need to have it have it tested properly so you get accurate diagnosis so you don't put parts on it you don't need. And Doc, wouldn't you have wouldn't you have a check engine light of some kind on? No. Not oh, especially that... you'll have the you'll have the anti theft light doing something. 
Okay. Okay. I think so on that Pontiac, it's got, it's got a little bitty lock looking thing with a key yep. thing, little little bitty icon, and it's a red one. When you turn that to the crank position, if it doesn't recognize that key, that light will come on. But when you turn it off the the crank position, that light's going to go off. But that's telling you that it's not recognizing that key. Yeah, and because of that, it's not going anywhere. Nope. All right. Anthony has a 2004 Lincoln LS uh, 8-cylinder, 3.9-liter engine in it. He says, I've got this Lincoln LS at the advice of a reputable uh, uh, technician. I've replaced the radiator, the electric fan, thermostat, and still have overheating issues. The weird thing is that the car starts to overheat without the gauge reading hot. What am I missing? What do you think? Uh, Go ahead, Joe. You start it off. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, there, there's a lot to be said for that year model and that engine size. If he bought this car and it had an overheating problem, it's probably had one for a while. Now, the gauge not reading hot, that could be a bad sensor there. But if the engine is actually boiling over, it, it's it's probably got a head gasket issue. Wouldn't you think, Doug? Yep, that's what I've been saying. Need to run a test on the radiator. Uh, with the, you know, with the bottle stuff in it, see how much exhaust you got in the in the water, and you, that's probably where he's going to find it at. It's going to be a blowed head gasket on it. And those particular one, Joe, they did have problems with a head gasket on them. Oh yeah, they had a lot of yeah, overheating issues and and uh, circulation and uh, plastic housings cracking and busting. And so he just bought it. I'm sure he bought him an existing problem that. Uh, you know, I don't know who who referred him to that car, but you know, um, the the story just don't sound right to me. Well, what you know, he said, you know, what it says to me is that he bought a car that he knew it had some problems, and then he asked one of his friends, who is a technician, and he said, "Well, you know, it might have been just exactly what you said. The head gasket uh, is the problem." But this guy's saying, well, you should you should replace the radiator, the electric fan, the thermostat. And uh, you won't have any more overheating issues, but he didn't think about that he had a blown head gasket. Well, he's probably drove it long enough, Dave, that it's, it's, it's blowed the head gasket was the original problem to start with. You know, and he he fixed what, is, what else is messed up. He just hadn't repaired the problem. Okay. The original problem. Explain to the listeners. Oh, go ahead, guys. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry. Sometimes you get to fix these cars backwards. You have cause and effect. Probably the cause of the overheating has been repaired. But now you're dealing with the effects of the overheating, which is it got hot enough to, to damage a, a head gasket or crack a cylinder head. Yeah, let's hope that it's uh, the head gasket, not a cylinder head. Well, those heads are aluminum, and, and they'll uh, they'll weld that up and fix them. They fix them every day, so. All right, so and it's a it's an all right fix. It's going to cost you a little money, but uh, that's a nice car, the uh, uh, 2004 Lincoln. That's a that's a nice automobile if you can get it running correctly. You made yep. a you made a statement about something, Duck, and I'd like to pursue it just for a moment. We're at 19 minutes after eight, and that is able to measure the gases that are in uh, the the water and stuff. Explain what you were talking about. 
they have a chemical, Dave, you take the radiator cap off, crank it up, get it up operating temperature, and you set this deal on top of them, it's got a, like a, you know, like they pump your blood, you know, when they're checking your blood pressure, the little bulb, yeah. you squeeze it, and it sucks, to, it sucks the air up out of the water, up out of the radiator, up into this ball, and it turns a chemical. It's got a chemical in it, and it'll turn it different colors, and that's what tells you if it's got hydrocarbons in the uh, in the radiator. Exhaust. And, and the only way you get hydrocarbons in the radiator is if you've got a leak from the head gasket or whatever. Exactly. Something's got to be busted, or a head gasket's got to be blowed, or something like it. All right. 20 minutes after 8, our first break. Let's do that here. Uh, on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, it's 20 after 8 at the time that we're recording this. You're probably listening to it in the 6 o'clock hour. If you're listening on Facebook, you're hearing it in real time. A break and then more right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe Smart is here from Joe's Garage, and uh, Donald Godsey, better known as Duck, is with us from Duck's Garage. Duck's Garage is in uh, Benton. They're over by the old airport. You'll find them on Air Lane Drive, and it's you can't miss them if you get over there. Uh, Joe is on Crystal Hills Drive uh, right off of I-40. You can't miss him either with those big American flags out front. And they're answering your car questions. Remember, if you have a car question, you can always send them to me by email anytime during the week or, or the weekend to Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. And then I'll have them and I'll be able to ask the guys here uh, some of the questions that that you have and they'll answer them on the air. Uh, Liz has a uh, 2012 Kia Sedona. It's an EX model, six-cylinder, 3.5 liter. She says, my van would start, would start... Uh, uh, that but the engine would not turn over. Uh, I now that doesn't make sense to me. My van would start, but the engine would not turn over. Anyway, I took it into an auto body shop, and they said it was the fuel pump. So they put a new fuel pump assembly on the car. The very same day, I picked it up from the shop. As I was looking out uh, at my driveway, I saw what looked like oil on the driveway. I ran some errands. Came back home, and sure enough, a new oil spot is under the car and a trail of oil down the drive. I can literally see oil dripping from the center front of the van when it's parked. I am going to bring it back in, but what could have gone wrong? The shop said they were not even near that area of the vehicle, but this seems like a really big coincidence. Also, when starting the van, it still takes longer than normal, for the uh, engine to turn over, like five seconds. Can you give me some advice so I know what I'm dealing with here? Uh, the van has 89,000 miles on it. Uh, no warning lights. Thanks so much. So let's start with you, Duck. What do you think? Well, you know, if they put a fuel pump in it, it's. I, I'm going to say they got a fuel leak is what she's saying. I don't think it's an oil leak. I think it's a fuel leak. And this this looks like oil on the concrete, you know. Without without seeing the concrete or you know feeling of it, I, I'd lean more towards they didn't get the O ring on top of the tank right or something other, and it's sloshing out. What do you okay. think, Joe? Well, it's back to what is it leaking? Is that you know if it's air conditioning, 
water condensation. Yep. She sees a wet spot, and it could be fuel. Uh, whether or not it was leaking before or not, I don't know how she would know that because if it wouldn't start, you're not going to have any leaks. A lot of leaks are only happen with uh, with the engine running. Yeah, uh, it could be a fuel leak, like you said, Duck. It could be that. It, it they they may have their i their identification of what fluid is leaking wrong. But if it was, let's just say she is correct and it is engine oil. If it is engine oil, then I'm going to say what they did to it is probably completely unrelated. Yeah, unrelated. No, not even close. Yeah. But, you know, just let's just talk just a minute about why does it happen and what what failures are, a coincidence here, coincidence there. Me and Duck have all been in this business for years. Cars come in and uh, customers leave, and they come back and say, you know, my passenger window won't roll down now. Well, sir, ma'am, we didn't roll your passenger window down. We wouldn't know. I had a guy come back the other day and said, you know, you guys did a tune-up on my car. You did a great job. It runs great. But it started raining the other time. My wipers on. Now my wipers don't work, and they weren't like that before. And it's like, <laughs> sir, uh, we never turned your wipers on. We don't know if they worked or not. And, and so, yeah, things break at any time without notice. And, and, and it's not whoever had it last's fault because of that. It's just naturally occurring failures, right, Doug? Even though we get blamed for it every day, Joe, you know, I, I got Russell got blamed the other day here about uh, four or five weeks ago. He put a water pump on the guy's truck. The guy come back the next day and said, "Hey, my right tail light's out after you worked over yesterday." <laughs> you know, yeah, I it, guess it, you know. The worst one I had was we did a, it was a Mustang. We did a tune-up on it, and the guy picked it up about 10 a.m. He come back about 4 o'clock that afternoon. And he said, I've been running around town, and he said, my right rear tire keeps going low. It wasn't like that before I had it over here. Oh, my. <laughs> I said, well, sir, do you think maybe you, you ran over something after you left? Well, no. I said, okay. I said, well, you know, there are two things can happen here. You can blame me for this, and. I can tell you it's not my fault, or I'll simply fix your flat for you, which is what you need. And, you know, when uh, when you approach a shop like that, if you're more cordial and got your hat in your hand and nice about it, you'll get that flat fixed for free. Uh-huh. But if you come in there and you'll be accusatory about it, I'm like, I ain't fixing the guy's flat for free because it ain't my fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what did you what you do, fix his uh, Mustang and drive a nail in his tire? I, I, you know, who knows? I, you know, I, I can't answer that question. Yeah, it could have been on my watch. Could have been on his. He brought it back like five hours later. Yeah, you know, I wasn't low when it left. So, uh, what, what do you do? You know, uh, you know, I, I can be kind and nice about it. If he's kind and nice about it, I'll take care of his flat. You know, right. Well, that's what that's what Russell did with the guy's tail light. He walks out and puts the tail light bulb in it. Tells him thank you. You know, and and sends him on his way. You know, and the guy was, you know, but but Joe, it's like you said, the guy was real cordial about it. He said, "Hey, I, I got uh, I got a tail light out, you know, and after y'all worked on it, you know, I mean, he didn't say it was our fault or nothing. So you know, Russell just went out there and popped the tail light out of that Chevrolet pickup, put tail light bulb in it, sent him on his way, and you know, you know, and and you know, but you know, but I have we're, been we're blamed on. many times for stuff. Me too, and it's real simple to us, you know. If it's our fault, 
we want to fix it. Okay. Yes. If it's not our fault, we want to fix it, but we want to get paid for it. And, yeah. and you know that that line right there is is real defined. If it's our fault, it's free. If it's not our fault, you have to pay because we didn't. You know, if, if, if this sounds strange, but I'm going to tell you the way I approach it. It's, it's real simple. It's like this. I didn't cause this. It's not my fault. It's your car, so therefore it's your responsibility to maintain it. I don't mind fixing it for you, but I didn't cause this problem, and I'm not fixing it for free. That sounds rough, but it is a fact, and that's the, that's what we have to live by. If it's our fault, we'll take care of it. If it's not, we'll still take care of it, but you have to pay us. Yeah, well, if you're if you're fixing their water pump and you do a, a job and, and they leave and it's not your water pump that's that's causing the problem, it's your tail light. Uh, I would think Correct. any reasonable thinking person would understand that that's not necessarily something that you guys did. We'll talk more about this. I got other questions as well from listeners here, uh, but we got a break coming up for the news, so we'll do that first. Uh, next question will deal with a 2014 Honda Civic Hybrid four-cylinder uh, with a 1.5-liter engine. That's coming up. Stick with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show as Joe Sharp and uh, Don Gonzi answers your questions about your cars. All right, back. You found out what's going on around the world. Joe Sharp's here and uh, uh, Don Godsey's here. They're going to help you with your cars. And, Joe, you wanted to go back and talk a little bit about this whole thing some more, about people coming and getting their cars fixed, and then something else goes wrong, and they go, well, you fixed my uh, an oil leak or you fixed the head of my on my car, and now my rear axle doesn't work. You must have done something. Uh, why don't you tell tell our listeners what you're thinking about that? Well, we got policies at our shops, you know. For instance, if a car comes in, it's got a sunroof. None of my technicians, if we're not working on the sunroof, they're not allowed to touch the button to roll the sunroof back. If they don't exactly. like what radio station it's on, they're not allowed not to it. turn the station. They can turn the volume down if we're driving it, road testing it for a noise or something, but they can't change the station. And if we, and basically what it amounts to is if we're not working on it, don't touch it, leave it alone. We've all been burnt by that. So, But we do have manual switches and doors and mirrors, and we have to adjust them to road test them. So our standard policy, and this is probably across the board at all the bumper-to-bumper certified service centers. For instance, if you bring your car in and we're going to do a, a front-end work on it, and we have to open the driver's door and roll the driver's window down to get it on the front-end machine or pull it in on the rack, say you hit that power window button and the window rolls down. When you get through, you hit that button and the window goes clunk, 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 and the regulator breaks. Yeah, it happened on our watch. But it's not our fault because we had to use that switch to do our job. So our policy is, fine, I'll call the customer and say, hey, I got this done, I got that done. When we went to roll the window back up on our last road test, the window won't roll up. It's off track. The regulators come apart in it. They'll say, well, it happened on your watch. I said, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, it happened on my watch. But I've pushed the button one time. The other 10,000 times it got rolled up and down is on your watch. So... My policy is I'll put you a regulator in there, but you have to buy the regulator. Yep. I'll do the labor because it happened on my watch, but I'm not buying your part. 
because you wore the part out, because I had to work that switch to do my job to fix your car, whatever else was wrong with it. And that's a fair way to do it. Yeah, that sounds fair to me. You have some customers that are adamant. Nope, it's your fault. You touched the button less, yada, yada, yada. I'll just put my foot down and say, I'll tell you what, I've made my offer. You buy the part and I'll fix it for free labor. You don't want to do that. Your car's ready. Come pick it up and the window is not working. Because and sometimes we're, we're not. go ahead, Duck. And sometimes, Joe, you just have to put your foot down and say, "Hey, look, it is not my fault," you know. And you know, and, and I've had and I do the same thing you do. Hey, you furnish the part. You you let me buy the part. You pay me for the part. I'll fix it free of charge. And I've done that many times, and so have you, Joe. Just to make our yeah. customer happy, you know, you know, and but. We get blamed for stuff that most time is not our fault. Well, because we're 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 preempting this because when we road test a vehicle after a repair, when the customer picks it up, if there is an issue that happened on our watch, we want to notify them ahead of time. But if there's something else going on, little things, you'll think, well, I'm gonna fix that because I know it's gonna I'm gonna catch I'm gonna catch it from them on this, so I'm gonna go ahead and take care of it. And a lot of things get took care of before they even see their car, before they pick it yes. up. Yes. You know, you'll have one that'll come in here and you'll do a radiator on it, and the coolant reservoir cap's missing. It came in missing. Okay. But we'll buy a coolant reservoir cap and put on it just because the customer, when he gets it home, he's going to raise the hood and he'll look around and say, "Hey, my coolant reservoir cap's missing." I wouldn't like that before, and he'll call back and say, "Hey, you left my reservoir cap off." We don't want that conversation. We don't want that call. We'll buy that cap no. and put it on there and not even put it on the ticket, right, Doug? Exactly. You know, just just to make everybody happy, to make sure we're doing our job to our best ability. And, you know, and, and, and Joe, as, as I always say, when human hands touch it, it's subject to messing up at any moment. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and you know, I've had folks ask me, so, well, how, how, did, how come it broke? Two days after I had this problem, two days after you did this repair, I said, well, it's unrelated, but why did the first repair break? What Was there a time schedule on this? No, there's not. <laughs> Anything that's man-made is subject to break at any time without notice. And when you go buy a new car, why do they give you a three-year warranty on it? Because the people that build it know that that can happen, even if it's new. So, you know, it's all relative. Now, why do they tell you, hey, we'll give you a $100,000 bumper-to-bumper warranty because they know something's going to break after 100, you know, normally before 100,000 miles. Something will give up. Well, absolutely. Everything breaks, Dave. If you use it and, and, and operate it, any type of machinery, it's wear and tear on it. If you maintenance it, it'll last longer, but nothing lasts forever. It, if you continuously use it, it will eventually wear out. All right. How about another question? You guys ready? Go ahead. Well, you're not ready for a hybrid question. You never are. Uh, 2014 Honda Civic Hybrid four-cylinder, 1.5 liter. When I tried to turn on the car the other day, most of the lights on the dashboard started flashing. But the battery light isn't one of them, so I'm uncertain what the problem might be. All the lights that turn on seem to be pretty random since the brake lights, ABS, low, and such are flickering. Uh, There seems to be enough battery for the inside car lights to turn on. 
Not sure if it's uh, you know a problem with the weather uh, that has uh, caused this, or not having enough juice left in the battery to start up. Can you f- give us a guess of what the problem is, Joe? You want to start that, on it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm going to say that you know. The hybrids are a different breed, and if it has an issue with the hybrid battery itself, uh, I'm trying to remember what year model and what which ones it were, but it, it escapes me right this minute. But back to what I'm saying. Some of them, the hybrid battery starts the gas engine. Some of them, it has an auxiliary battery that starts the gas engine and that's all that auxiliary battery does so if it's not starting it's a battery issue now what kind of battery issue on a hybrid it's going to take a scan tool to diagnose this okay there's some uh, modules on that that are there that communicate with the system they're called battery monitor modules and if the m- module detects that the battery has a fault in it or it's got a bad cell or if it's low voltage, you're going to have to clear those codes out before it'll start, and you're probably going to have to charge it to get it charged up. And charging the hybrid battery is a difficult thing. They don't have a plug-in to charge it with. Generally, we have to pull the covers up in the back, and we have a specific hybrid battery charger because these batteries run on such high voltage. And it's a very, very slow charger. It's like a three or four amp charger, and it's 24 hours to charge one. So if that vehicle's not starting, it's going to have to be towed in and checked and diagnosed. There's nothing that that homeowner, that car owner can do to get it going, I can tell you that. Yeah, because he don't have a charger or nothing to charge it with, and he has no idea where to charge it at. And and I'm like, you know, you know, I can't to... remember if that ticker year model has its own starting battery but i don't think it does on that ticker year model best i can remember i i don't think it does either it's going to start off the hybrid battery now the rest of this story is i'll bet you that he was having some regenerative uh charging issues and some lights coming on prior to this happening because you yeah know, you could park a hybrid and, and i promise you he had some charging issues to begin with and most likely it's probably got one or two cells gone bad in that hybrid battery. And just for general information, uh, we do that kind of work. Actually, Dave, you can buy what they call, I think there's 29 cells in that battery. You can actually buy those cells rebuilt online, and you can identify which ones are weak. You have to charge it up and then disconnect them all, and then you can... You can take a, a lab scope and check each one to determine which ones are weak, and you can replace those individual cells. Now, a hybrid battery is about $3,500, $4,000 to buy one. But a lot of times, if you buy the individual cells and do everything, you can usually, if it's got one or two cells that are weak and the rest charge up, you can get that battery back to operating state for $1,200, $1,400. Oh, that's good. So. Yeah, it's it's That's a lot a cheaper savings. to do that. And, but, you know, when you do that, you you need to tell your customer, look, I'm replacing the cells that are bad right now, but this battery is all the same age, so in the future you may have some other ones go out, and we can actually identify exactly which cell it is, what position it's in. 
So if it does come back six months later and has another issue, we can say, well, it's not the cell we put in. It's this one over here. Then the customer okay. knows that this, this problem is going to be ongoing, and it's probably time to to uh, purchase well, a new battery. In it. Yeah, right. well, that's coming down to just what you said before. When you buy something and it, it runs, it's man-made, it's going to break sooner or later, and these batteries do not last forever. And a lot of people don't even take that into consideration, but that's an additional cost that goes along with a hybrid. Absolutely. And they are very expensive, Dave. So most people buy hybrids. This has always been my question about hybrids. Most people buy hybrids because they go, well, I bought a hybrid. I'm going to get 45, 50, 60 miles to a gallon of gasoline. Well, when you think about you're going to have to replace the, the hybrid battery sooner or later, are you really getting your money's worth, or does it, does it all pan out the same no matter what kind of car you have? Well, a $4,000 battery, let's break it down, okay? All right. And let's say in 10 years, <clears throat> the battery goes bad. How many hundreds of dollars a year is that? Right. So if you say, all right, it's going to cost me 10 years, it's going to cost me uh, $5,000 a battery and putting it in in 10 years, so that is $500 a year, Correct. Correct. Yep. How much gas? How much gas could you buy for five hundred dollars a year? Yeah. Are you are you getting the gas mileage that equals out to that five hundred dollars? You know, I try you know, to sit down and, and talk people to people about that, and they look their eyes glaze over. But it's just it's just simple math. Correct. Is the juice worth the squeeze? That's all I can tell you. Yeah. That's the truth of the matter. All right, we got to get our break in. Let's go ahead and get a, a next break in. Then we'll come back and finish it up. And the next uh, question goes directly to Duck, because Duck has owned a Porsche before. And this is about a Porsche, uh, is it Cayenne? Is that uh, how they pronounce that? A Porsche, a 2006 Porsche Cayenne, eight-cylinder, four-and-a-half liter, and talks about having a jarring ride, and he's done some different things about it. So, Duck, you're up next when we come back here with uh, you all here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Final segment of the Dave Ellswick uh, Show for a Wednesday, and on Wednesdays we always have Joe and Duck on. So uh, we got some more car issues. Remember, you can always uh, email me at Dave at SalemLR, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. And uh, if I get the uh, question in time during the show, I'll ask it. If I don't, I will take and uh, uh, ask the question the next time that we have uh, Joe and Duck on. Neil has a 2006 Porsche uh, Cayenne, eight-cylinder, 4.5 liter. Uh, he says, uh, it's got 101,000 miles on it. I've had the problem of a very jarring ride for the past year. I've recently changed the following. In the front, struts, links, sway bar bushings, upper, uh, the uh, upper body uh, shock mounts, upper and lower control arms, and the rear, same components, one control arm, alignment done, tires rotated and balanced, 
bought all four tires three months ago. The car seemed better for a few days and now seems back to square one. The car rides like I'm driving a golf cart. Every bump jerks the whole car, and there is no dampening at all. I'm wondering if you might have experienced something like this in the past and have some tips on how I can save my car from trade-in. Thanks so much. Joe, I got a question. On that, doesn't that have an air ride suspension on that one? I think it's got some kind of ride control on it, and, and he's asking a really hard question without seeing the vehicle. You know, he's, I know he's put all these parts on there, and he hasn't fixed it, but that uh, that particular vehicle, I believe it has got ride control on it, which means that it could be a ride management problem. Yeah, it could be you the know, module not there. talking to it. Well, yeah, but you, you generally you get a light that comes on in there. It's checked suspension. And, and and if it's just stuck in the in the in the you know some of those you can push a button and you can have a a, a normal ride a sport ride and and what that's for because it stiffens the suspension up so in cornering if you're going around a lot of curves and stuff it stiffens the suspension up but if it's stuck in that mode and even if he replaced it with the factory shocks and everything if it's telling it to stay in that stiff and firm mode it's going to stay there yeah so that's, I, that's like what I figured be, wrong too. Yes, I'd like, I'd like to see it and 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 look at it and hook a scanner up to it and talk to it. It's what I'd like to do, and you know a Porsche is a difficult thing for us sometimes on the software with a scanner because it's kind of limited what we have access to. So you're telling me that Porsche is one of those uh, dealers that keeps a lot of stuff proprietary, correct? Yes. yes. So the best thing you can do is take it someplace that says, I work on Porsches. And even then, well, you might help, help, help. Well, you, you got you got some independents that have bought the software and, 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 and have more access to data than what we would have just off of a, a basic deal. Some of those you can buy. Some manufacturers you can buy subscriptions to. Some of them want you to buy their scan tool, their factory tool, and their ten, fifteen, twenty thousand mm. dollars. If you don't work on enough of them to offset the cost of that, you're not going to do that. But if you specialize in it, some shops specialize in European stuff, and and they have paid those uh, fees to get access to the software. That's probably where the car needs to be, either that or back to the manufacturer. All right. Yeah, so, there's a there's a guy over on Baseline right there at uh, four thirty. I've, I've sent a few of them up there to him. He is, he is, I mean, he works on them every day, and he is smart on them, and he does have the equipment to test them with. And I, I'd play you odds. He's got something that's telling the suspension to stay in, in race mode, and that's why it's riding so rough. Well, we could always have him take it over to Ryan. He could take a look at it. Yep. I mean, he works on those type of cars, too, and that's the key. You know, if you don't work on them all the time, uh, you don't know all the ins and outs of the car. And it, it, he could put that thing on a on a, a tester and see something and go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I've, I've dealt with that before. Sure. Well, Dave, uh, go ahead, Joe. 
I was going to say that you're talking about Ryan. I, I sent him a, uh, a Land Rover over there uh, last week that the customer called me and it blowed the motor up and it locked the engine up. And I uh, sent it over to Ryan because he specialized in them and uh, turned that customer over to him. And that's part of what we do at the, in our little group here, the bumper-to-bumper car and truck doctors. We share, and we know who's specialized in this, like Gary Henry's transmission, Ducks' diesels, and Ryan is European stuff. And, you know, we, we kind of funnel work like that towards each other sometimes, don't we, Duck? Every day, Joe. We do this every day because some of this stuff, I you know, I don't know nothing about it. None of my guys does, and I've seen it on down to someone else. Sure. And, and and that just makes a good – we're trying to take care of our customers, Dave, is what this amounts to. All right, final question for you. 2015 Honda CRV LX four-cylinder 2.4-liter engine in it. My rear brakes, pads, and rotors are bad. I only have 9,000 miles on the car. How do I t- prevent brakes from going bad so soon? I do not have a heavy foot or brake riding foot. What year model was it, Dave? 2015. And he got 9,000 miles on them? Mm. 9,000 miles on them. Says the rear brakes, pads, and rotors are bad. Well, start with, I don't know what kind of pad he put on it. If he put the El Cheapo pads on it, he's got about what they get out of them. That's what I was going to say. Now, you buy uh, the... uh, 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 discount parts pad, it's twelve fifteen thousand miles. If you buy a quality pad, you'll get forty fifty thousand out of them easy. So it's a and pay me keep, now or pay me later, right? Well, and then yeah, pads, you know, they will eat the rotor up. Yeah, the the the, the material is real soft. It's not quality material, and and it wears out real quick. The um, the deal about that is, you know, that's a fifteen twenty dollar set of pads. If you go buy a seventy eighty dollar set of pads that are made by uh, or semi metallic or a ceramic, a quality material, they're going to last three times as long. I can tell you that for a fact. All right. So just remember, what you pay is what you get. I mean that's that's, that's the fine. whole that's the whole thing. I mean if you if you want to go yeah. cheap, don't expect some. Look, when I go buy tires, uh, if I buy a, a, a you know four tires and they only cost me let's say uh, thirty thousand dollars, I'm not expecting to get one hundred and sixty uh, you know sixteen thousand miles per tire. I just know it's not going to happen. All right, we're out of time. We can take this up on the next time we get back together. Joe Sharp, Joe's Garage, Crystal Hills Road, Duck over on uh, Duck's Garage over on Air Lane in Benton. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Dave. All right. Got Thursday coming up. J.R. Davis and Seth Mays will join me on the Dave Ellswick Show.